This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Mike Yusin, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Welcome to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Ann Greenhall, and I'm here tonight with my dear colleague and co-host, Mike Yuseem. Jeff Klein is off in the first mm, hour, mm. but he is back in the second hour of the show. So, Mike, how are you tonight? Doing great, Ann. How you doing? I'm, I'm very good, and we've got, a, I think, a great show lined up in the first hour. We're going to be talking with former Chief Learning Officer of LinkedIn who is now co-author of a new book called The Expertise Economy, How the Smartest Companies Use Learning to Engage, Compete, and Succeed. And she is Kelly Palmer. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you tonight. Kelly, a pleasure to have you. And as I said at the top of the hour, you, you are the former Chief Learning Officer at LinkedIn, and now the co-author of a new book called The Expertise Economy, How the Smartest Companies Use Learning to Engage, Compete, and Succeed. So, uh, Kelly, tell us a little bit. What what inspired you to write the book? So um, the, the book is actually uh, published this week. We're pretty excited about it. But it, it really the idea about the book came about um, almost two years ago when I joined Degreed, which is the company I'm the chief learning officer for now, mm-hmm. which is an education technology company. And my co-author, David Blake, is the co-founder and the executive chairman of Degreed. And we were both coming from uh, looking at education from a little bit different lenses. I, I have run corporate um, education organizations at you know, big tech companies, Sun Microsystems, Yahoo, LinkedIn, and uh, and David actually, you know, came from it from uh, an entrepreneur starting an education technology company. But one thing we had in common was this idea that there's a huge paradigm shift happening in the in the world of learning and work, and that um, and that we need to be thinking differently about learning. And so that was kind of the impetus for for getting the message out there about the urgent need to upskill, reskill, and cross-skill our employees to be successful in the world of work moving forward. Oh, that's great. And in fact, your first chapter uh, really is devoted to the topic of learning and the title, How We Really Learn. Could you say a little bit about that? How do we really learn? Yeah, I I think one of the things that struck me as odd when I first uh, got into corporate learning was how antiquated some of the models that we were using were were when we actually know a lot about how we learn today through, uh, for example, through motivation and through a growth mindset, and but yet we're not applying those principles to how we're helping employees learn every day on the job. And so, yeah, we devote a chapter to um, first kind of dispelling some of the myths about um, about what people think about learning. Uh, for example, that, you know, there's optimal times in your life for learning when, in fact, you can be learning all throughout your career, all throughout your life. And then we talk about the growth mindset and how important motivation is to actually uh, learning, whether you're doing some personal learning or learning to build new skills for your career. Mm, that's great. Very good. Well, let me bring Mike into the conversation. 
Kelly, great to have you on the show. And just to make this very personal, I want to be you (laughs) (laughs) in the the following sense. Uh, Ann and I are in the education business, and our chief learning officer would probably be the president here. She is the chief learning officer, the president of university. Uh, But I'm thinking to be a chief learning officer in a company, a very important company, a big company we all know a lot about, LinkedIn, that must have been just really cool to be there. So <laughs> what what does it mean? What did you do? What did it feel like to come to work every day? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And um, it, it's interesting because I um, I almost didn't go to work uh, for LinkedIn. I got um, I got a message uh, from someone at LinkedIn through LinkedIn about starting uh, the learning organization from scratch, from the ground up um, at LinkedIn. And, and I was at Yahoo at the time, and I had thought, well, I was pretty happy. I really, really wasn't looking for another opportunity, um, but I took the meeting, and it, you know, it really hmm. changed, uh, changed my life and my career. I spent four years there actually uh, putting in place a learning organization the way you, know, you could – I would have imagined I would want to because in most cases you don't get that luxury. You you start with something that already exists and you try to modify. But um, but with LinkedIn, I actually got the chance to say, okay, if I could if I could create uh, the most amazing le- learning organization in the world, what what would it be? And so that's that was my blank slate. It was really exciting and hmm. really focused on uh, on actually building technology to help um, to help uh, our employees learn as well. That was one of the big initiatives we had there was building a learning platform uh, to help our employees learn. Kelly, I'm going to pick up on that in a second, but I do want to go back and just offer a statement, proof of concept, that by being on LinkedIn, <laughs> you can sometimes enhance your career prospects. Uh, that's, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I think Anne's on LinkedIn because yep. uh, we kind of want to be noticed, I guess. <laughs> and great that LinkedIn actually helped you get a job at uh, LinkedIn. That is great. Yes. Uh, a learning organization uh, it probably takes a mindset, a, a, a culture, if you will, for people to even traffic in that word because you are a business. And so as you became the chief learning officer, did you was that uphill or was that already kind of built into the woodwork? Well, I would say I was very fortunate in that, um, you know, the CEO of LinkedIn, Jeff Weiner, is a huge education advocate. And so um, so he and the executive team already had learning as, you know, part of the core principles of, of the company and and the value proposition for employees. So that really helped a lot. You know, it helped pave the way for mm. Um, you know, new and innovative ideas. I don't think all companies are that are that lucky, um, but I, I do think that um, that that helped in in building the learning organization at LinkedIn. So, um, just to follow up with that, and when when we talk about a learning organization, and Mike, you're going to smile at me. I think <laughs> I think of a classic classic article by Peter Senge who talked about um, what he called generative and adaptive learning. And generative learning is the ability to pose problems before they arrive. And adaptive learning is the ability to solve problems right in front of you. So you react rather than uh, anticipate. So when you talk about a learning organization at LinkedIn or any organization, is that is that the spirit, uh, the kind of... Uh, organization you have in mind 
Absolutely. It is the kind of organization uh, I think I have in mind and that most people should have in mind. And that was that was where um, what we realized is, is that that wasn't often happening in corporations and in uh, companies that were putting out learning programs. They were very um, kind of take people outside of their job in order to learn something and then put them back into the job mm-hmm. and hope that they apply some of the skills that they learned in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things at LinkedIn that and that we're doing at Degreed and we're helping a lot of other companies do this as well is actually have learning in the in the flow of work. So, mm-hmm. you know, people learn when they care. People learn when they have a real business problem to solve. And so much of the... Um, Older models of corporate learning were around theoretical um, ideas, and then it's harder to people people to put that into practice. But what we started doing is actually, you know, understanding what some of the business problems were we were trying to solve, and having groups and teams of people in the company solving those together um, mm. through learning. Mm, very good. And just to sort of get a picture, uh, so you were chief learning officer. So did that put you in the suite alongside the chief operating officer, the chief financial officer, the chief technology officer? What was that C-suite, as we say? What did that That, that, C-suite look like? Yeah, so I think it's, you know, it's a little bit different from company to company. In the case of... um, of LinkedIn, I actually uh, did report to the CEO for for some time as the company grew. They hired a CHRO, and then I reported to that that person. Um, in the case of the company I'm in now, I'm I'm in the C-suite. I'm a CLO that reports into the CEO, and I'm on the executive team and responsible for um, you know for executive decisions there. But I think what's most um, interesting is is the importance of the CLO role moving forward. What mm-hmm. we're seeing now is is that traditionally in a lot of corporate environments, they would put a chief learning officer under a, a, a chief HR officer. Right, and right. now what they're realizing is, is that learning is more, is becoming more critical to business strategy. And so mm-hmm. like they're elevating the role of the CLO uh, to, to different levels of the organization. For example, Visa just hired a chief learning officer um, and and she reports directly to the head of strategy who 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 reports to the CEO. So it's a completely different outlook on on the role of learning in a company and how crucial it is to their success. Mm, that's great. Now, if you're working alongside the um, you know the head of human resources, what might that partnership look like? Yeah. So I think if you um, if you look at and it and it varies again from company to company, but I think uh, the key the key role is there is is that um, the CHRO has a, has a wider remit for um, things like compensation and benefits and um, and other types of HR roles, mm-hmm. and the chief learning officer focuses on on the learning component, and it's huge and it's very strategic, and so the mm-hmm. partnership looks uh, more like let's let's put together um, a learning strategy that's tied to the business strategy and and we um, we strategize at that level for the executive team and then mm-hmm. are brought into certain fun- certain activities at the C level um, mm-hmm. suite like executive review and talent reviews and things like that oh, very good I ask you that in part because uh, Mike and I work here at Penn and one of the benefits that many uh, members of the staff 
probably in particular faculty too, but staff in particular appreciate is the opportunity to take courses here at Penn and to work in very and uh, work on various degree programs. So that's that comes out of HR, but in the in the way that we're talking about uh, learning, learning would not be under HR, but parallel to HR. Right, and I think you'll see that happening more and more in the corporate world as well. Very good. You know, Kelly, to pick up on that, uh, really intrigued by the reference to the example at Visa of the CLO now connecting directly with the head of strategy. Mm -hmm. And I say that because I've worked uh, several rounds with an organization that is looking at the best companies to work for for leadership development. Mm -hmm. So this is not the best company to work for, not the most profitable. That's not the criterion. The criterion is very simply if you want to develop your leadership, what are what companies are at the top of the heap? That said, one of the defining elements of the companies that were at the top of that particular list uh, is that the learning function, the leadership development agenda, was tightly connected with the company strategy. And that's a way of saying that what you actually provide in that learning setting it really ought to be disciplined by where the heck the company is going. So anyway, that was what my my own observation was from working with this group that was doing that kind of appraisal of companies that um, were looking for the, the top of the heap. So just stretch that out in, in your own thinking. How important is that learning function to be joined at the hip with how the company sees itself um, winning in the marketplace the next couple of years? What do you think? Well, I think that, you know, that's really the the core message of, of the book now that I, I think CEOs are realizing that there, there's three trends really happening in the world of, of work right now, and that's automation, um, digitization. You know, most companies are going through some sort of digital transformation, and probably the most important is this uh, acceleration, that things are just happening so quickly that um, that it's hard to keep up with, with uh, what's happening. So we know now that 62% of CEOs believe that they don't, their employees do not have the skills that they will need to move um, forward and that they have the challenge of upskilling or reskilling up to 25% of their workforce. And if so, if that's, um, and, and in addition to that, we find employees are a bit worried too. They're wondering, hey, do I have the skills that I need to be successful moving forward and helping the company move forward? So if you, as you see this shift happening, you're realizing hmm. that, that a learning strategy can no longer be something separate from the business strategy to really succeed. So an example is uh, we're working with Unilever pretty closely, and they're, Chief Learning Officer Tim Munden is actually working in concert with their business strategy people to, to, to put in a skills strategy that's part of their business strategy. It's not a separate learning program or a different learning strategy. They're actually working together to say, how are we going to make sure that our employees have the skills that we need um, to be successful moving forward? Another interesting stat, I think, that um, – that, um, also relates to this is the fact that companies used to exist for about an average of 55 years and now it's more like 15 and it's predicted that <laughs> mm. half of the fortune uh, half of the S&P 500 companies will no longer exist in 10 years. Mm. All right, mm. before so those are some 
Yeah. No, sorry, Kelly. I just wanted to jump in here for a second and remind our listeners that they're that they're listening to you, and you are Kelly Palmer, co-author of a new book called The Expertise Economy: How the Smartest Companies Use Learning to Engage, Compete, and Succeed. And our listeners are listening to Leadership in Action, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Mike, did you have a follow-up? Yeah, Kelly. Uh, I wonder if you can just pull an example out from either your time at uh, LinkedIn or in your current consulting work with, um, I think, Unilever, Visa, and beyond, of how, uh, in, in a sort of a tangible way, people within the, a company, chief learning officer above all, how they have paid attention to what the company strategy is and then from that designed a particular learning method or content. So just looking literally for some um, example of what that looks like on the ground. What comes right. to mind? Okay. Yeah, the, I think the thing that comes to uh, first to mind is um, is uh, Booz Allen Hamilton is a company that has talked publicly about their initiative that's called Data Science 5K, where they realize that they're going to um, – upskill and reskill 25% of their workforce to get the data science skills that they need need to be successful moving forward. And so what that looks like on the ground is is that it's I don't think it's any longer this that a learning organization is doing this um uh, kind of in a silo as it kind of used to be I I think it's yeah. now more that you are having discussions with the business leaders and realizing that you know, skills is a conversation you can have with business leaders where they can be engaged in that, whereas in the past they're less um, excited maybe about compliance training or that mm-hmm. some of their employees went to negotiating skills um, classes. So this idea that uh, if you have this idea that the business is moving forward towards building more data science skills, um, how do you then build programs that help First, assess, assess employees to where they are in those data science skills and then figure out what the skill gaps are, put them through some programs that will help them build those skills, whether that be a combination of in-person team problem solving and online learning, um, and then and then assess again to see where, where your uh, workforce is in terms of those skills. I think that's a really... Um, a real tangible example of, of how we can see the skills gap, closing hmm. the skills gap uh, method in action. And just to think about this in the context of a large consumer products company, as, as I think we all know, the big consumer products companies in, in food and related areas, drink, uh, drinks and food, increasingly moving to healthy drinks hmm. and healthy food. And if that's a strategy coming from the top, I can imagine that the chief learning officer is <laughs> instructed or asked to devise a curriculum that would help people who grew up in kind of a different era in the industry think what it means to move out of um, uh, fun food to uh, nutritious food. So anyway, is that an example or is that is that the, the kind of logic that you're seeing now with the particular strategy mapping into the particular learning instructional terrain? Yeah, I, I would say yes, uh, yes, and that there's another component of it that I think is really hmm. critical. It's is that um, there's a, a trend towards giving employees more control and um, hmm. enabling them to learn skills on their own 
um, based on what they see going on in the industry. I mean, we we talked a little bit earlier about motivation and the science of motivation. This whole idea that you know employees are not typically engaged at work. Pew Research says it's only about. Uh, one or um, seven out of ten employees are not engaged at work today, and why? They're not given a lot of the autonomy that they want and that they need in order to build skills on their own. So I, what I would say is this combination of a chief learning officer and the company giving guidance about what trends they see happening and putting together some flagship uh, programs to help employees build skills, but maybe even as important or more importantly, enabling employees to be continuously learning skills every day and using technology really to enable that. Because if you think about how um, uh, employees at work are actually sometimes closer to the trends, like you just Mm. mentioned the example about healthy foods, they may be driving Mm. that kind of change at the ground level Mm. and actually helping you know, helping their peers um, understand more about those trends rather than it always coming from the top. I'm wondering if you can give us, um, a, you know, another concrete example of the intersection between the business strategy and the learning strategy. Yeah, I'll get, you know, my, my uh, career has been mostly spent in tech, technology companies, and so a lot of my examples are are more around uh, uh, technology companies, but rather than consumer companies. But I would say one example might be that, you know, we're all familiar with, with the iPhone and the fact that everyone has an app for that, you know, an app for uh, using your product on, on the iPhone. And so at a certain point, I, I, an example I have is when I was working at Yahoo as uh, leading the learning organization there, we had a great product for our desktop, but not a great uh, mobile application mm-hmm. for for Yahoo. And so, you know, our challenge was how do we get uh, get our product moved from desktop to mobile? And the, we needed to hire mobile developers. the The challenge was is that there weren't enough mobile developers to go around. There were everybody, mm-hmm. you know, from Google to um, you know, all of the other high-tech high companies were actually looking for those same mobile developers. So our strategy was a, a build strategy for our talent to say, look, we've got a lot of engineers at our company. They don't necessarily have mobile development skills, but they've got engineering skills. And we um, we asked, you know, we actually put out a poll how many of them wanted to get upskilled and reskilled into mobile development. We got a great pool of candidates, and then we actually put together a, a learning program over a series of nine months to transform these engineers into mobile engineers. And um, that's an example of an on-the-ground strategy where we the business needed to move in a direction we didn't have the talent or the skills that we needed, and so we actually put that into motion. Oh, that's a great example. And in my head, I'm thinking that it also might provide illustration for how a company might uh, get a competitive advantage through, um, you know, through learning. Absolutely. I, I think that um, one of the things that we write about in, in the book is that especially for new college grads, and you probably see this um, being where you are, is that when they choose where they want to go work, what they're looking for um, primarily is a place where they can learn and grow and build new skills. And if they have a choice between a couple of different companies, mm-hmm. they're going to choose the company that offers 
um, learning opportunities and new opportunities for growth. And so it can definitely be a competitive advantage that way. And I would also say that most companies that um, in the future are going to rely on a hire-only strategy are going to be stuck like um, like Yahoo was with mobile developers. There just, just isn't enough talent out there with the skills that people need, so we need to figure out how to um, cross-train and, and upskill our workforce. And so let me make sure I really follow that, and then I'll hand right over to, to Mike. So rather than looking to hire that talent and bring it from outside, inside, to think more about uh, educating and re-educating your own uh, workforce in order to meet the demands. That's exactly right. I mean, I'm in the heart of Silicon Valley right now, and and uh, Google is probably the biggest player that we've got around. And when they want to hire all the data scientists that are out there, they can, and they can afford to do that. And um, so a, a lot of it, it leaves a lot of the other tech companies in a you know, in a, in a conundrum about where they're going to find that talent or how, if, they, they, if they could even afford to pay for the talent that's out there. So, yes, building talent from within is, is crucial. Oh, very good. Mike. Kelly, uh, speaking of conundra, if that's the plural of conundrum, <laughs> uh, here's one I'm sure you have thought a lot about. As you train within a company, uh, vital for reasons that you so nicely just illustrated, you do run the obvious danger that those who are better trained now are more employable elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So walk us through how you manage that conundrum. That's great. Another great question, Mike. <laughs> Another great question. Yeah. Mike's winning. <laughs> um, it, it's the question that gets asked most often uh, by business leaders. They yeah. ask, "What you know? We're going to invest all this money in, for example, mobile developers or data scientists, and then after we after we train them, they're going to go work somewhere else. And now we've lost our investment. But the it's." It's the other, you need to flip that question around, really, and you need to say, but what if I don't train yep. or uh, skill these people? Then then you are left nowhere. You, you don't have a hiring strategy and you don't have a build talent strategy internally. And I think that um, what we're seeing in the industry is, is that companies are realizing their competitive advantage is to help people grow and learn within the company. And your competitive advantage is if you continue to do that and you continue to give people opportunities to grow and continue to learn and be challenged within your company, they're going to want to stay with you. They're not going to want to go for other opportunities. So um, so that's what we've seen, and that data has yeah. uh, has been has proven true. Kelly, to play on that a little bit with reference to our own setting here, we have a program for more kind of early mid-career managers, and we bring their bosses in to meet with us. And the bosses have often raised that very question. They're paying for somebody to come to one of our programs. Uh, the, the person's going to finish the program and hopefully not fly the coop, but who knows. <laughs> and the answer that we have generally offered back, and this really is a question then for you, is that as people um, become better, smarter, uh, more broadly trained, they're not going to want the job that they began with. Hmm. And thus part of your function as a learning officer is to think about how to enlarge jobs or increase responsibility as they become more trained, more educated. What's been your thinking on that one? 
Yeah, there's a great example. Uh, we've been working with uh, eBay as well, um, and th they're using our, our platform Degreed to help people learn and build new skills. But in addition to that, they've created an online career marketplace. Hmm. And so one of the biggest issues with um, with keeping people excited and challenged and applying the new skills that they learn is giving those them opportunities within the company. And it has to be a mindset for the managers that your goal shouldn't be to hoard talent. It should hmm. be to actually grow talent and spread that um, within your company. And I think that that's really a top-down uh, kind of a principle that your your company has to set, you know, that, that you want to grow and develop people and give them new opportunities. Mm. So at eBay, what they do is they actually provide both job opportunities as well as project opportunities. Think think the future of the gig economy to say, look, I just learned these new skills and now there's a 10-week project where I'm going to spend 20% of my time um, applying those new skills that I learned on that project for 20% of my time. And, you know, managers have to be okay with that in that in that cultural environment. But in the long term, that's a competitive advantage because you're retaining the employees because they keep getting new and better opportunities. Mm -hmm. Kelly, if I can piggyback on that, you say that that uh, mindset has to flow from the top from the top down. But earlier in the hour, you also talked about um, uh, learning sort of from the bottom up, so personalizing learning because uh, employees can be closer to the trends sometimes right. than their managers. Could you give an illustration of that? So, so I, I know it sounds confusing sometimes when you say some something should be tops down and others bottoms up, but the reality is is that you need for a true learning culture in a company. You need you need both. You need. I'll give you the example of uh, Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft. Um, he has turned around the culture at Microsoft by creating an amazing le learning culture. How has he done that? He worked with, uh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Carol Dweck, who oh, wrote sure. Mindset. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, We've had her on the show. <laughs> have you? Okay, yes. She's one of my heroes. I yes. mean, I think that the work that she's done is absolutely brilliant. And so did Satya Nadella. He actually brought her into Microsoft and said, look, you know, we, we need to reinvent ourselves at, at Microsoft and, and reinvent our culture. And so in working with Carol Dweck, he's come up with this uh, motto at Microsoft. He said, we want people to be learn-it-alls, not know-it-alls. And, <laughs> and I love that, right? Because right. it actually sets the tone. And this is what I mean by starting from the top. So if you have a CEO who's saying it's okay to be vulnerable and to admit that you don't know everything, even if you're in an, in an executive or a management position, um, that we should all be learning all the time that that sets the tone mm -hmm. for then what is to follow from your employees and your uh, where, where now they feel like there's permission to be learning every day and it's okay to take time out from my busy day to make sure I'm I'm also learning so that's what I mean by the tops down bottoms up approach mm, that's great Mike Kelly before we leave that uh, it's a really interesting model or, or method that's maybe a better word for it you want people. This is the bottom up, bottoms up side to understand. You want to learn from them what they want to learn. So it's got to be <laughs> kind yeah. of a, a yeah. bottoms up driven mm -hmm. particular agenda. But coming down from the top, 
is a statement like uh, what uh, Satya Nadella has uh, just said, as you quoted him, that sets forward um, an urgency or a purpose or a, uh, a priority for this. So, uh, Kelly, uh, you've been called in to maybe work with your former boss at LinkedIn or maybe the current boss at uh, Microsoft, and they say, give us the script for how we establish a learning culture or how to strengthen our learning culture. What advice would you have or what words would you put forward? Um, well, I would I would say that um, there's this great new book out called The Expertise Economy. Yeah, that's uh, great. That, that's right. That actually does does walk through some of the you know some of the ways that you can actually um, uh, do that. But I mean, I I think creating a learning culture is, is is it's complicated. It's it's messy. It's not straightforward. I think that there's a lot of different components that go into uh, creating a dynamic where. Um, where learning can be um, the best that it can be, I, I, I think that we've we've had a culture of learning typically in corporations where it's this mandate of of compliance learning, and people have lost their love of learning in some ways from from a corporation's mandate of learning. And the fact is, is that people really do love to learn. So how do we how do we um, get that back into into the company culture where people see learning as part of their job and it's something that they love to do and want to do and that mm. managers and leaders are seen more as guides mm. um, to say, you know, here are some of the trends we see. Here are some of the business imperatives that you can be, you know, part of, of helping us uh, succeed for the future. Here's our mission and our vision and here's how you can align with that. I think that that's a very different uh, tone than saying, okay, you all have to uh, go through this, this, and this, or else you're fired, kind of, <laughs> or else you're not going to succeed, right? I think it's pretty yep. uh, dramatic. So here's a, uh, the same question in a, in a different package. If <laughs> you're invited into a company that has not had much of a learning culture, but the chief executive, the the people at the top, are adamant. Uh, they've read your book. They really want to get <laughs> into it. How do they go about building that culture by the example I've given from scratch? It's not there. They know they want it. How do they start? Right. I'd say it's it's multifaceted. I mean, it does start with, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like a vision and mission. Like if a degreed where I work now, we have um, our guiding principles where learning is is one of the foundational principles of who we are and what we do. And and we communicate that in everything that we do, from our onboarding to all of our training to our company meetings to um, to our business strategy. Learning is a key component to all of that. So I would say that's a great way to start because it's it's communicating your message mm-hmm. of what's important you know, to your company and what what employees should expect is important for them as they join your company. So that's a great starting place. And then from there, there are so many different strategies that you can use from uh, peer-to-peer learning programs to um, getting everybody involved in, in learning to using technology like a learning platform like Degreed, where you encourage people to learn all the time every day and to broaden their view of what learning is. This is the other thing that I I think is fundamentally different from 
what we've seen in the past is that learning can be listening to this podcast, for example, or this live interview. It can be reading books or reading articles or watching videos. Those can all be part of your learning experience to build skills. Yet um, in the corporate world, it's not always viewed as we haven't defined those things as part of your learning experience mm -hmm. and journey. And mm -hmm. so I think broadening that definition of what learning actually is and how you can keep track of your personalized learning and set learning goals, those are all things that strategies that can really help uh, take you from uh, either not a learning culture mm -hmm. or a, a culture of only compliance learning to one of continuously learning mm -hmm. skills all the time. Mm, Kelly, I really like that expression uh, from compliance learning to continuously learning. And let me just remind everyone that you're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Mike Yuseem and I, Ann Greenhall, have the pleasure of interviewing Kelly Palmer on her new book, The Expertise Economy, How the Smartest Companies Use Learning to Engage, Compete, and Succeed. So... I might have a follow-up question for you, Kelly. Can you, you know, sometimes when we, Mike and I and Jeff have had the pleasure of talking to a number of people who take learning very seriously in their organizations, and sometimes we talk about classroom learning as opposed to on-the-job learning or, um, you know, learning outside the walls of the organization. So I'm just wondering if if you have given thought to the on-the-job versus the classroom uh, learning? Um, absolutely. It's, it's one of the key things that I think um, all learning professionals struggle with, especially in the corporate environment, because a lot of what we know is based on when we went to school, which was classroom uh, learning. And, and so the lecture-based learning of, of having someone convey information for, to you and then taking tests is kind of that traditional model. So when people get into the corporate environment, uh, a lot of leaders expect that, oh, we'll send them to training, we'll send them to classroom learning. And even if you try to give them other alternatives, they might say, oh, but no, we really want classroom learning. What I've learned since I've been in the corporate learning field is, is that what people want even more than classroom learning is they want to uh, interact with their peers and with mentors <laughs> and, and with people that they can learn from. And that it's not so much the classroom part that people crave, it's the, it's the learning from each other in a setting. So, so the way we don't, we have now been talking about classroom learning is more in-person learning where you hmm. can actually um, learn in teams together to solve real problems rather than classroom learning, meaning more lecture-based learning. So we see a movement away from classroom into in-person learning, but then combining that with a learning journey. So it's not just one, a one event type of thing, but say you are with a team and you're going through solving a problem, you can then go out of that uh, team environment on your own to um, have reference and follow-on material through technology. And that's what I mentioned before, like mm -hmm. listening to a podcast or reading an article or reading a book to help um, instill some of the learning that, you, that you've that you had in, in the group setting. Mm -hmm. And oh, Mike, please, go ahead. Well, uh, Kelly, before we leave that very point, mm -hmm. uh, a very pragmatic question. Yeah. Uh, Anne and I and Jeff are often asked by 
outside organizations, how do they strengthen the leadership in their ranks? And it's really a learning question. How do they help people learn to be more effective in leading a function or a division or a team or even a small office? And one thing I've come to advocate, and I think Anne's on the same page, is finding a vehicle for a really interesting and contentful discussion, such as the famous book by Jim Collins, or the very well-known book by Sheryl Sandberg, Lean In, Jim Collins, Good to Great. And I do know that um, many organizations have simply said, let's read this book this month. And on Tuesday, this goes back, uh, Kelly, to your point about peer discussion, uh, in your office, just make it a discussion vehicle for an hour over lunch. Um, I think I don't have evidence directly, but intuitively, I think this is a fairly good and well, kind of well-proven method. But I, I'd love to get your own cut on this one. No, I love that idea. And in fact, at Degreed, we actually have several book clubs going for different uh, functional groups that we have where we do exactly that. And I think it's incredibly effective. And it's also, uh, it, it does so many things in terms of um, one, building those peer relationships, two, learning from each other. I don't think we do nearly enough learning from our peers when we've got all this expertise sitting right next to us and we don't we don't hear enough from them. So I love the model. And in fact, when I was at uh, LinkedIn, one of the first things that uh, that we did was a leaders teaching leaders uh, type of series where we had everybody on the executive team. It was sometimes it was a book, but sometimes it was just a topic where we would take, you know, an hour out of our day to go sit with a bunch of peers and an executive and, and lead a discussion mm-hmm. about a about leadership or about um design principles or whatever was most pa- that leader was most passionate about very effective i think a quick follow up for our listeners i think sometimes i know i get stuck myself in that i know i kind of want to achieve a more learning oriented culture but tactically i don't quite know where to begin but you've just walked through i think um, a very straightforward place and an effective place to begin Let, let's create a book club or let's get a uh, some kind of common discussion around something, an event, a book, um, uh, a film on, on Netscape. That said, is besides what we've just referenced, are there a few other tactics like that that you would advocate uh, f- uh, to get people going on building a learning culture? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that is, um, is I think, emerging in the in the corporate world um, for, for education is, is this notion of curated content mm. and around topic areas and using technology to say, hey, I'm interested in learning more about leadership skills and there are curated content pathways that I can go through in order to learn more about this topic or this skill. So one of the, one of the strategies that a few companies have taken on is to say, um, instead of having a learning organization be responsible purely for curating content, let's get subject matter experts um, in your company responsible for curating content. So say if you're an expert in the Java programming language, 
and you curate a pathway of here's here's a book to read here's a video to watch here's a class to take here's an article to read but you're you're getting it from an expert who is expert at java so they've been through it and they're so they're they're um thinking through what would it take for others to learn java the way i i've learned it and then it also gets everyone involved in the learning process everybody's a teacher as well as a a learner in that in that case so i think that that's becoming an emerging strategy that's, that's, um, that people are kind of excited about. Well, Kel, we have just a uh, two minutes uh, before we have to bring our conversation to a close. It's flown by, but I, I'm wondering if there are just a, a few thoughts that you might give to our listeners, people who are out there in organizations, no matter where they are, whether they're at the top or the bottom and the middle of the organization, what kinds of steps might they take to begin to cultivate a learning organization? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I finally got I think, one, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Just teasing. Um, so I, I would say, you know, first and foremost, think about how you like to learn. I often mm-hmm. am out speaking um, to uh, companies and learning professionals and business leaders, and I and I asked them, you know, how, how do you like to learn every day? Or when you need to learn something, what do you typically do? And what invariably I hear is that, oh, I, I, I Google this or I watch a YouTube video or I, I uh, take a class that I'm really mm-hmm. interested in. And whatever, whatever mode that they prefer, um, have business leaders think about how they like to learn and then uh, and then model that for your for your company. Um, for example, I think that there's a few business leaders out there who publish the books that they've um, that they've read recently, and they do that so that they can show people what they're learning all the time. So I think that starting out with asking those simple questions about um, how do you like to learn, and then create a Create a culture of learning the way you would like to see that happen, and that's a that's a great uh, a great start. Oh, very good, Kelly. Well, uh, before we part, can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about Degreed? Yes. So, if you want to learn more about Degreed, you can go to Degreed.com, and Degreed actually um, allows people to sign up for free for a personalized learning profile, so you can set some learning goals and start tracking all the learning that you're doing online. And then we also have a product for, for companies uh, as well. So you can um, put programs together for your entire workforce. So degree.com is where you can go uh, find more information about that. Um, if you want to learn more about the book, um, we have a website called the expertise And, uh, and I also have a LinkedIn profile, as you might imagine. And <laughs> yes. so if people want to connect with me personally, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Very good, Kelly. And and let's just be sure to give a shout out to your co-author. So he's I would included. I to do that. Yes. So David Blake, who, who is our the co-founder of Degreed and, um, and the executive chairman of the company, is my co-author. And you can reach David at um, david at Degreed.com and also connect with him on, uh, on LinkedIn. He's fabulous and has a wealth of information about learning as well. Very good. Well, Kelly, Mike, and I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show. Indeed. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.